all the like disabled people I know, all my friends, they've got just lovely relationships. They've got some of the best relationships that I know. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. So Nina, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm very hot, but I'm good. Thank you ever so much for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. And like, thank you for giving up your time to be on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited too. So the first question that I ask every single guest on the podcast is, how do you refer to your disability? And the reason that I ask this is because everybody refers to their own disability very, very individually. And I'm always interested to know how people refer to it themselves I think I tend to just say I'm disabled or pushed I might say I'm a wheelchair user yeah um I tend not to like I like I don't have I don't I'll talk about my diagnosis but it's not you know that I've got spine bifida and that's something I'll talk about off my own back but I don't like sort of the presumption that people need to know my medical diagnosis so I tend to just yeah stick with one I'm disabled And I really like that because I think a lot of people sometimes feel that people want them to give them a medical explanation and they want Mm. that information almost that they can process. But actually Mm. that is, it's very much private information and and it's like, it's your own to do with what you wish. Mm. I think it's sort of useless information for most people as well, because if people, you know, know my medical diagnosis, it might scratch a niche or curiosity, but yeah. They're not going to do anything useful with that information unless they were like a doctor and even they don't do anything great with it. Um, so I would much rather people, you know, ask me about like, how's the access or, you know, just yeah. like somebody just come up to me the other day in a, in a charity shop. I was and a lovely lady come up to me just to compliment me on my wheelchair and it happens so rarely. Yeah. And it always just feels so nice because it's just recognizing it as like a cool bit of tech that actually looks quite pretty as opposed to like this sort of tragic thing I've gone off on a tangent I'm sorry no I I love it tangents are the best thing on podcasts Mm -hmm. because I always find like the conversation just goes a different direction but it's all still relevant I love it good yeah sorry you'll get a lot but yeah so yeah so basically I will tend to just say I'm disabled yeah and I think it's really important that when you when like when people in general not just like you and me when people say they're disabled it's just to accept it Mm. and not be like no you're not (laughs) because there's been a lot I've had it a lot where people are like but you're not really Mm. and I'm like what like how how are we having this conversation and how are you trying to argue against what I'm telling you considering I'm the one that's disabled I think it's because people think it's like you're insulting yourself. Like I remember saying to a guy once, um, he said something like, you know, what's what's wrong with you or the usual charming question. And I was just like, oh, nothing, I'm disabled. And he was like, oh, I think you're definitely more abled than disabled. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really not. <laughs> like, clearly, like, what are you talking about? And I oh, think it's people- it's so annoying. I think they just think it's, you know, the equivalent to saying, I don't know, oh, I'm a shithead. And they go, oh, no, you're not. You know, and and it's like, yeah, no, it's not, it's not the equivalent. Like, it's just that's how I identify. That's that's who I am, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's not like society. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. And I've said it multiple times in this podcast. But 
society in general has seemed to equate disability with an adequacy. So mm. as soon as you say disabled or disability, people are like, <gasps> and they almost don't know how to take it. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to say this word. I'm going to use this word because it accurately describes exactly what I need it to. Mm. And also it's not a bad word. Like you shouldn't be fearing it. Mm. And I think it's frustrating because they see that, you know, as you say, like inadequacy um, and that's always directed towards our broken, you know, sick yeah. bodies, as opposed to seeing, you know, the attitudes, the access barriers, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, can be changed. And if uh -huh. more people knew about it and more people, you know, went into a restaurant and questioned why they don't have, you know, disabled toilets or brow menus or whatever it is. But instead, people just sort of hear disabled, think, oh, you know, always see it through the medical, feel sorry for you because, yeah. you know, it can't be fixed. And it's like, ah, oh, there's so much that can be fixed. Um, yeah. But you just exactly. don't see it. Exactly. And what was it like for you growing up? Mm -hmm. Because from what I know about you is that you've not always been a wheelchair user. And so on, a, on and off. Like? So I was like born with my disability. Um, mm -hmm. And kind of like hit all the milestones a little bit later than yeah. like I didn't walk till I was a little bit older and stuff like that. But it was kind of smooth sailing until I hit my teenage years. And with spinal bifida, because it's all to do with the nerves in your spine, um, that kind of sudden growth period in like adolescence can really sort of trigger it. So for me, everything got worse. Um, and I sort of, you know, I'd have stints in wheelchairs and on crutches and stuff like that all through secondary school and a lot of time off and a lot of hospital appointments and I hated it I hated yeah. feeling different I had to wear um like orthopedic shoes and all I wanted to do was you know wear kickers like all of my friends in the 90s <laughs> did yeah. um and I just I just hated it I just wanted to bury it especially um it was around like my teenagers my incontinence really started to kind of kick in and I just didn't tell anyone I didn't seek any support because I was just so sort of ashamed because yeah. you know I was just a teenage girl and I just wanted to be like everybody else um so I really really struggled with it and then it kind of settled down in my I'm sorry if you can hear tapping it's my dog who chooses oh, honestly love it he, he can come and have in. a chat as well <laughs> it's not sitting on my laps too hot for that <laughs> go lay down um but yeah like through my 20s I think when I had my I had my first kid when I was 25 um and up until that point, I was an absolute terror at, because I didn't like being disabled. I also didn't take care of myself at all. So I remember having like a toe amputated and then literally being discharged from hospital and going straight down the pub because I was like, well, I'm not staying in and resting. Um, I was really self-destructive, just a proper little menacey minx, just very, very <laughs> naughty person. Um and then I got pregnant and it kind of suddenly I was like, oh, I can't afford to be in and out of hospital all the time because I've got another infection because I yeah. haven't bothered to rest or dress my foot in any way. So I just kind of really started looking after it and taking care of it. And then it really settled down. And then sort of nine years ago, my third pregnancy, I just began to lose my mobility. Um, and then suddenly it was just kind of really faced with it. And at first yeah. I was very much like, I called myself differently abled. Ugh, ugh. Isn't that because a horrible phrase? Because I think at one point in time, I at least know uh, like every single disabled person I know has also used that phrase. And then like upon reflection has been like, 
<laughs> because it's we're all in that kind of mindset of well you know I'm not disabled like those other disabled people like yeah. what does that like it's it was so ableist and my way of thinking had been so ableist and I think a lot of that was you know I remember growing up and you know we had like a family friend who was in a wheelchair and I would see I don't think I necessarily understood it at that age but I yeah. knew that people were different you know people yeah. I knew and I'd think, but you're not talking to him like you talk to everyone else. And I don't think I just had a real grasp of what it was, but I just knew, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be treated like that, which is, again, like, terrible. But in my kid head, I was like, well, I just don't want to be treated like that. So I'm not like that. I'm not disabled. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really until I had a couple of things, really. Like, I had a kid with the same disability as me, um, which changed, like, really kind of was just such a moment because it yeah. looked so beautiful on him. And I was like, how can I have hated my body for all these years and hated to like, you know, I've, I've got a lump that comes with my spina bifida and I, you know, and just ugh, all of that. But yet on him, I was like, oh my God, this is so precious. Like, this is the yeah. most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I never wanted him to hear me talk about it in a negative way because that's part of who he is as well. So that was a huge turning point for me. And then the next thing was like finding the disabled community, which I talk about yeah. all the time because it really was just, it just was life-changing because all of the stuff I had kind of internalized over the years, like when people would come up to me and say, what have you done? And I would just answer them and tell my whole medical history because I felt I had to. And I remember the first time, one of the first things I wrote about to do with disability on my Instagram was that, not liking those questions. And I was so nervous posting it because I was so used to when I would say to people that I didn't like them, people would say things like, oh, but people are only, you know, being nice. And, yes. You know, yeah. they don't mean any harm and all of that. And I would be put back in my box. And go, okay. Yeah. So to write this post and then have loads of people comment and being like, oh, I hate it too. It makes me feel this, this and this. I was like, oh my God, this is just so validating. And yeah, it just changed everything. And I learned, um, you know, about the social model of disability and learning about different models of disability. Yeah. Again, was able to sort of look back at like 30 odd years of my life and start unpicking it all and just seeing it through a different, like seeing myself through a different lens, seeing disability yeah. through a different lens. Um, and it's like an ongoing process because, you know, I didn't discover all this stuff till I was like 37. Um, mm-hmm. So I spent so many years just having all of this internalized ableism and never questioning it because I just thought that's how it was. So it's, yeah, yeah the last sort of four years, especially have just been, yeah, amazing. And what I love about that is that you're not, you're not shying away from the fact that there was internalized ableism in your life, because mm. I think a lot of people are almost like, you know, who talk in the disabled community, some people are like, you know, internalized ableism exists, but like, oh, I've never had it. And then you're like, at some point, everybody has had some form of internalized ableism, whether you're conscious of it or not, you have, and that's nobody's fault. It's the way that society has like put us in like a little corner and that's what society has said. And it's not kind of until you, you almost break out of that and you almost do like your own research or you look into it a bit more that you realize actually how heavily ableist society is and it's actually quite scary <laughs> oh it's it's everywhere like ableism and eugenics and yeah. it's stuff that people you know ableism most people haven't heard of eugenics people seem to think is a thing of the past yeah um whereas when we look at you know the last um couple of years with the pandemic and we look at the treatment of disabled people we look at things like this is all getting a bit bleak now but you know like forced um dnrs and yeah all of that stuff 
um, you know, like I'm at the point where I was so burnt out from spending a year sort of shouting about how disproportionately it was affecting disabled people and how many disabled people were dying and people not giving a shit. And it was yeah. like, oh, okay. Like, um, you know, just that apathy of me doesn't really affect me. Yeah. Um, and you're right, you know, everybody, everybody is ableist. You cannot live in this society, you know, even within our school systems, you know, we reward good health. When we look at work, you know, we reward good health. And if you're somebody who has to have a lot of time off, you're penalised. Yeah. If you're somebody who can't work, you're judged, you're offered bare minimum support. You know, it, it's just ingrained in us that being disabled is terrible and sad because we all have some level of knowledge of how disabled people are treated um, and the lack of support that disabled people get. And, you know, it goes back to kind of the industrial revolution times and factories being brought in and suddenly, you know, there wasn't any work for a disabled person and the workers wanted to make sure that, you know, everybody kept working. So that's why the social security benefits have always been so appallingly terrible because we don't want to make that look like a cushy deal. It's, you know, it's, yeah, you kind of can't not be ableist and it's all about kind of just challenging it. Like I still am so like my first reaction, like my first thought sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, Nina, what that would get you canceled. And <laughs> you know, and it's like the second thought that counts because yeah. the first thought is the one that we're all brought up with. It's the one that, you know, we just have to undo. And it's the second thought that comes in and you replace it and go, well, no, that's not actually true. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just about recognizing that. And I think with disability and with ableism, especially people just, it's hard because people like to close their eyes because they don't like to see the problems mm-hmm. and people like to turn a blind eye to it because as soon as you point out something is ableist or there's a massive barrier to entry, it's almost like, I'm not a bad person though. I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not a bad person for, for doing this. Like, Oh, because I didn't think about access. I'm not a bad person. Like, mm my architect should have thought about that well no no like Mm. stop chatting shit it's rubbish you're all ableist accept Mm. it but like as soon as you accept it you can like learn from it so like accept it and now learn (laughs) I think people just don't really I think people don't necessarily see you know and I'm generalizing but disabled people as human like no and I would completely agree with you on that I I honestly would because I think that's a very true statement well, I think, you know, when we look at things like city things like, um, it's not really city at all, but um, there was like a bus, uh, disabled bus passes in certain areas of the country cannot be used after 9pm as if all disabled people, you know, are tucked up in bed by I'm 9 be werewolves. Like we are werewolves, which yeah. maybe we are. Um, it is a full moon tonight, so like you never know. Kind <laughs> of just let rip. <laughs> um, I was going to start making hairy jokes and I was like, no. <laughs> Stop it. But, you know, I think that we're not expected to want a social life, education, work, blah, 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 blah. So uh, it's just sort of not, yeah, it's, I think it's, people just find it so uncomfortable. But, you know, everybody's only kind of one accident, one chronic illness. This from becoming disabled or you know you get old enough you've got the privilege of living long enough you're going to probably become disabled and it's infuriating because if people were to you know if everywhere was accessible not just wheelchair accessible um 
you know, it benefits everyone. When we look at the shit yeah. that they put in place in the pandemic for non-disabled people overnight, like my other half was up in the city working and he literally had his computer like motorbike to his house within however many hours and he was set up mm-hmm. to work from home like that. And I just, you know, and I think obviously there was a lot of talk about it in the community at the time, how, oh, yeah. wow, all of this stuff we have asked for and have always said it's not possible suddenly, suddenly it is. is possible and as we've also seen it's most of it's been you know stripped away and everybody's trying to champion everybody back to the office um but as we saw during lockdown you know it, people kind of benefited from that way of life people benefited yeah. from suddenly being able to have doctor's appointments over the phone and, and being able to do online stuff and work from home and this and that and you know when we talk about access when you meet those access needs it generally benefits everybody else yeah it's not just the disabled community that it benefits it's everybody else it's productivity Mm. it's like it's everything on top of that and and initially it might look like it's just the disabled community that it benefits but actually it's a knock-on effect to absolutely everyone because Mm. while someone might be in the disabled community they're also a part of a wider community as well it you know you're not just part of one you know area you're part of lots of like loads of little different things as well and that knock-on effect is huge yeah. and like it's it's never-ending so like I'm in complete agreement with everything that you've just said and I think you've said it in such a way that makes it accessible for everybody else to understand as to why the access is needed mm. which I love so um with this how has your disability impacted your career and the career choices that you've made I mean, I'm just really lucky. Like, it's, I don't know. So for a, like, a long time, I sort of just realised when I was younger that I wasn't able to work a regular job because yeah. I was just always off or I would be able to work fine for a couple of months and then need like six months off. So mm-hmm. not, not didn't really work out that well. Um, so for a long time, I just didn't work. Um, and then I retrained to be a counsellor Um which I did for a little bit self-employed and then had babies and yeah, my disability sort of uh, progressed, I guess. And like what I'm doing now just feels like a huge sort of accident um, that I'm suddenly (laughs) like making money on social media. Like it's weird. It's very strange. Um, But, you know, I know that I'm really, really lucky because I'm able to work from home, you know, and I don't have to deal with what I do still have to deal with silly people but um in general it's it's not so bad so yeah I think I've sort of yeah I don't know somehow at the minute I don't know what I'm going to do after this because yeah being making money from social media feels very very like making money I don't know it feels very um unsteady so I'm not sure what I'll do next from this but yeah I think like I still sort of use my I think I've been able to take a lot of my counseling skills as well into sort of yeah. my disability work, which has been yeah. really useful because a lot of it, like we never covered disability when I did my training. And I know um, from speaking to a lot of disabled people that they can have real issues with therapy because often their therapist is ableist because yeah. everybody is. And 
you know, if you're telling somebody with a, you know, somebody comes to you and they've got a, a visible disability and they sort of said to you as a therapist, like, you know, I feel really anxious when I go into a room full of people I don't know. That therapist might be like, well, that's really irrational. Let's, you know, CBT your way out of that. Whereas actually it's quite rational to feel like that as a disabled yeah. person because we know that at any point somebody could just come up and either, you know, laugh at us or say something really hateful to us or, you know, it's, so I think, for me, it's been really good to be able to use those skills within a disability setting and to reframe things um, because, you know, it's it's not, I think often, you know, depression and anxiety can go hand in hand when you're disabled because I think when you're of any marginalised group because of how oppressive, you know, and all of the systems and all of everything, I think yeah. it, it's very hard to, um, yeah, flourish under all of that. So I think being able to use those kind of skills to to help sort of other people to realize that like it's not me it's ableism and yeah. to you know to get that sort of strength from that um is probably I, you didn't even ask this but yeah it's probably the favorite part of my work no <laughs> that's but that's great because it does it does tie into to like how it has impacted your your career because you've gone down one route and then you've come out and been able to use those skills and, and place them somewhere else which I think is brilliant and something that I love that you do is when you talk about yourself and your partner and the image that comes to mind is the image, I think it's you in a wheelchair and your partner stood beside you and next to it, you've written like next to him, it's like savior, so great. Like he must be like an absolute saint. And then next to you, it's like burden, mm -hmm. awful, must be a terrible person. And I love that so much because a lot, of, you know, talking about relationships with, with disabled people, that is so often what happens people either think a your partner is your carer mm. or they like they're in shock people are like in shock that disabled people can have like relationships and sex lives and yeah. and all of these things that happen because it's you, you never see it like yeah. I have never seen a disabled person as the main character in any type of sexy film or like you know any romantic love interest in any tv show soap drama whatever it, it doesn't happen and I love that you confronted that so much and I think that it needs to happen so much more I think it's really important like because although I you know I've always been disabled obviously my you know I've only been using a wheelchair full-time mm -hmm. for the last three years um and you know, Jace takes on a lot more around the house now than he did before. Yeah. Um, literally, he was ill the other morning and I was in charge of doing like the morning before school thing. And I just <laughs> like cried. <laughs> and I used to do it all the time. I was a single mum for like two years and I just, yeah, yeah I cried. I can't cope with it, Jace. Um, Get out of bed. You are not sick. <laughs> not that unwell. You're fine. You have man right. flu. <laughs> so I've got, yeah, I have got, um, yeah, he's, he is great. But, you know, it, it's about that. So... Like my, I was married before mm -hmm. and I did everything. Like yeah. I did every bit of housework and I did all the admin and, you know, I, I did everything because at the time I wasn't working, I was just a mum. And I think that kind of outdated notion and that kind of, I think it plays into gender roles as well, that yeah. if your man is working and the woman is at home being a housewife, like it's so outdated. But I think so people, archaic. it's that sort of mindset because I think like, yeah, when they look at us and they're like, oh, you know, that poor guy, because obviously they imagine that he does everything and, you know, we have no sex and he can't possibly get any enjoyment from his yeah. poor, you know, disabled partner. And it's just, it, you know, it's not like that because we just, we've operate so smoothly as a team and mm -hmm. 
you know, my strength is organisation and Jace is terrible at that. So I'm, you know, basically the house manager and Jace does all the, the manual lifting and stuff and it's great. And like, for you know, we've always had a lovely relationship, but it's got so much better than what disabled I've got, which feels like a weird <laughs> thing to say. But I think I've always been quite an independent overly like that you know because independence is such a um you know it's a crap notion and it's just a false sort of thing that's sold to how everyone should be and I think I've sort of really took that on board and you know if I ever used to fall over I'd be like I can get up myself um and just you know I'm fine I'm strong and just had all these ideas of what I had to be and dismantling that and realizing how much that tied in with all the messages around disability and yeah. really allowing Jace to care for me has like, it's just been lovely. Um, we're so much more intimate, which in turn, it, you know, it can't help but have a knock on effect in every area of yeah. your relationship, which means everything is better because it's just, yeah, it's just a lovely enough quite a lot of relationships and been <laughs> terrible and this is the first time I've ever just had this real genuine kind of the idea of what care means because I mm-hmm. care for him and he cares for me and that looks slightly different like you know I'm not physically being able to pick him up and shit I mean Jason barely picked me up to be fair um <laughs> but it is it's just it's lovely and the fact that people look at disabled people and just automatically presume that they can't or they shouldn't, you know, I mean, yeah. there's laws in countries about people with a uh, learning disability, like not being able to have sex. Like it's terrible. It's wild. It's genuinely wild. Really like, yeah, it's awful. And I wish it was something that was spoken, but I know there's like really great people doing amazing work around it, but in general, you know, when we look at schools, when we look at sex ed, um, there's just no mention of it, mention of it. There we go. So I think for a lot of disabled people, you know, because our bodies are so medicalized, especially if you've grown up with a disability, then yeah. often the times you are touched and stuff is always very medical. And again, you can internalize that and feel like your body is just this like medical thing and undoing that and learning that actually, you know, I spent a long time, like, I would never let people touch the lump on my back. Like, that was a no-go area. Like, yeah. ugh, ugh, why would you touch that? Whereas with Jace, I do. And it feels lovely. And it was so kind of healing for me to have somebody touch it in an intimate way, in a nice way, as opposed to just like this cold gloved sort of hand. And yeah. it's, yeah, it always just kind of makes me laugh because I think every, like all the like disabled people I know, all my friends, they've got just, lovely relationships I've got some of the best relationships that I know with you know the few good straight men that I like so that's nice if you can find one send them my way I will I will (laughs) but yeah the the idea that it's somehow a flaw or you know and I think it's just you know people just have narrow-minded views on everything don't they and they have narrow-minded views of what sex looks like and you know sex must be this one thing like yeah it's a lot more than that (laughs) um and I think people just can't imagine a different a different way and can't and I think as well because a lot oh can I say this is this really yeah go for it well I think a lot of straight cis men are very much 
you know, wouldn't take on somebody with a disability, wouldn't no. put the hoover around, you know, would think that that was somehow, you know, I just think I know from friends of mine who are single and on like the dating scene, like fucking hell, like. Oh, it, it's a minefield and it, it's just, I don't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> no, it sounds awful. Like really, like I was able sort of when I was in my sort of dating years, like nobody would have known I was disabled until kind of we had sex basically because it's just whether I chose to disclose, you know, my yeah. feet or my back or whatever else. So I could, you know, keep it quite hidden. But yeah, the comments and stuff, it, it's, yeah, it's, but there are also really good people out there. And I would say that to people who are like, you know, I'm never going to find somebody because of that. And it's like, no, it's it's a really good asshole detector because oh, it was so the asshole so quick. And then that way, it's not you. Get rid of them and then on to the next one because there are really decent people. And, yeah. And I don't think, you know, I think everybody, you know, I, I think it's natural that somebody's probably going to put their foot in it or say something maybe because none of us are, you know, we're not all there. But I think you can definitely tell the ones that with try. The and there are other people who just balls it right up. <laughs> Yeah, or people who just won't eat or just say something so horrible and outrageous and gross. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, like, dating is such a, it's such an interesting one because I started this whole, like, dating thing maybe, like, last year after, like, coming out of a relationship. It was a really long-term relationship. And then I was like, oh, like, I don't really know what this dating thing is. And I remember, like, my first time going on a dating app and I was like, I'm just going to put pictures of me out there. Like, it's very obvious I've got disability. If you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't. Snow skin off my back. And then I remember I got a message from one guy who was like, I've also only got one hand too. And I was like, cool, that's not necessarily the reason that we should match. <laughs> Imagine that's the only thing you've got in common. Exactly, exactly. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a really funny one because, and I was saying this to a friend the other day, I was like, you know, people are either going to like me or they don't. And if they don't, then they're not for me. And that's absolutely fine. And actually it's perfect because I wouldn't want them in my life anyway. And like, mm. like you said, it's a perfect asshole detector. Like, you're going to know whether someone's interested or or scared, like scared of disability as soon as you start speaking to them. So it's kind of like the best way to just be like, yeah, I'm here. I'm disabled. Mm. Accept it or not. See you later. If not, bye-bye. Absolutely. And and I think it's just finding that right person who also understands that, you know, interdependence is the key to everything. You know, we, we I have interdependence with my friends and I have yeah. it with Jace and, you know, we all rely on each other for different things. And, and just how beautiful care can be, like taking care of somebody and somebody letting you into that part of their lives, I think is really special as well. Like, I don't think it should be about, oh, God, you know, when am I going to tell them this big, dark secret about myself? No, it's yeah. a, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It's your story to tell to, you know, to somebody if you trust them with it. And, you know, it's certainly not something that's like a flaw about a person. No, not at all. And I always ask, like, through some like you know we all go through hardship with disability and like this is you know as much as I love talking about disability and its, and its positives and all the positive impacts it's had on my life there is hardship that we all go through with it what in one form or another but I always try and look for some form of goodness that comes out of the hardship and I was wondering do you have, have you, or have you noticed a particular personality trait through going through hardship with your disability that, that actually you're really proud of? Oh, that's a big question. It's a good one, isn't it? It is a good one. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think like I've always been somebody that 
has always been quite socially anxious and I didn't have a very nice time at school. Um, so I've always been like a bit of a people pleaser and, and this sort of thing. And I think for me, like what I've done the most, what's come out of me over the last couple of years is a very, I seem to have developed a really, I've always had a maternal parenting side that I've been able to apply to my friends and my children, but I've always maybe not been as good at applying it to me. So I think since becoming, not since becoming disabled because I was born disabled, but since using a wheelchair, since becoming a wheelchair user and having to confront all of this stuff and deal with people staring at me and deal with just having a platform where, you know, I leave myself quite vulnerable a lot of the time. um, It sort of has terrified the 15 year old me who still is like just terrified of everything but it's also enabled me to develop this really lovely kind of grounded, slightly feels like an older, wiser side of myself that kind of comes in in those moments and is really able to, yeah. to talk to that other part of myself. So I'm able to have like a conversation and kind of to parent myself. And that's been, I'm really proud of the, you know, I did, I sort of did my own therapy, um, you know, during lockdown and, and it was just a really nice sort of part of myself to be able to develop to kind of, yeah just to look after myself because sometimes things are really shit. And sometimes I do have days like, you know, I'll get messages sometimes like, how are you so positive? And I'm like, but I'm not like, I have days when I burn out and I take, you know, and Jason's like, you just need to go have a bed day and I'm in bed and I'm sad or I feel really anxious. And it, but I've got much better at just being so kind to myself I think yeah. whereas before I'd have pushed through it and been like oh you're being you know just called myself all sorts of names and you've got nothing to moan about blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I don't do any of that now now I'm just like okay you feel like shit and that's okay and you know and I can just be kind to myself and and I think it's quite a harsh world sometimes when you're disabled so having that ability to to inwardly be nice you know to make that choice to be nice to yourself I'm yeah that's what I think I'm proud of being able to develop that for sure, I feel like I need to develop that. I am the person that's so like, I, I was I was literally saying this the other day, I am like my harshest critic. And like, I forget that I'm disabled because obviously like, like you, I was born with my disability, so I don't know any different. And it's not until mm. someone says something or like I look at someone like really, really simple, like clapping their hands. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't, I don't clap my hands like that. Mm. And like, I have moments where I'm like, today, I just feel a bit shit. And like, it's purely just, you know, we, we do have days where we just don't feel great. But and then I'm like, come on, Brooke, like you've got power through, like you can do this. Like, what are you moaning about? You've got nothing to moan about. And then I'm like, oh God, this is tiring. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, if your friend came to you, you'd probably be a lot more empathic. Oh um, my God. I'm like the nicest friend ever. I would love to be friends with me. I'm such a good friend. <laughs> Well, then you need to be turning that energy inwards. Uh, it's like it's funny that I say that because I, I remember saying it to a friend of mine, and she was like, "You're the only person I know that could get away with saying that, and like, and genuinely meaning it." And I was like, "Yeah, I genuinely mean it. Like, I do that. I know I am. I I'm know. A, like, I'm a really good friend. Like, I'm not bullshitting anyone. I'm a nice human being. <laughs> like, I have that much self belief. <laughs> That's good. It's good. I'm, you know, fully support having self belief. It's nice, and and it's a good base point to sort of remind yourself." you know, am I talking to myself like a really good friend? Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've learned is that always treat yourself like your own best friend. 
Mm. And like I'm developing it. It's not easy and it is hard, but you've got to do it. Like even like even like that part that's really kind of critical of you though is doing it in your own best interest because it's like, well, if I don't really criticize her, then she might fuck up. And then oh my God, what will happen to us then? So it's also about kind of being able to be nice to that part of yourself and be like, hey. I know you're concerned, but we're okay. We're just going to have a little rest day. Just having one of those days. That's it. That's it. That's how I talk. Like, just talk to myself like I'm a child constantly. Um, But it seems to, it seems to work. So yeah, that's, that's been good. And I always ask this because I think this is a really like important question. Because I think if I'd heard someone like older than me when I was little with the same disability as me give out a piece of advice I probably would have really listened and that is do you have like a piece of advice for either or both actually most people tend to do both for a younger version of yourself and also or a younger person with the same disability as you I mean, for myself and well, the same really for anybody younger with it. I think it's to, to um, you know, to find, you know, find community if you can. Like I almost shied away from it a little bit when I was younger mm-hmm. and I wish I hadn't. And yeah. I sort of, I think I would just want to say to anybody to really understand that it isn't you, that all of this stuff you feel when you feel like a burden, when you feel you know, like you're an inconvenience and all of this, you're not, it's, you know, it's how society is. And I would just say to, yeah, to anybody younger that, you know, your disability can be, you know, it is a beautiful thing and it can, and it's a neutral thing and your life, you know, you're going to make your life what you're going to make of it. And yeah, just, it's not you, it's ableism always. It's it's always ableism. <laughs> always is. Always. That's my excuse, even at home. No, it's not my fault. It's ableism. I definitely didn't do it. I'm going to start saying that now at home. I'll be like, oh, it's not my fault. It's ableism. Like, yeah. I also really enjoy calling the children ableists when they like leave their shoes around. I'm like, you're so ableist. How do they take it? Are they like, oh, sorry, mum. Or they're like, oh, mum, stop it. They just laugh. They laugh at me with their hazards. I love that. Terrible children. I love that. Interestingly, I have a particular set of questions that I find really intrusive slash really, really annoy me. And it tends to be, did a shark bite your arm off? Because people love that. Or alternatively, what happened? Now, I wondered if you had like a particular set of questions that you find intrusive about your disability. And I know that you spoke about your first post being about the questions that you found really annoying. So I wonder if you could elaborate on that a bit more. Yeah, it's weird because I don't I think it's weird, but I so I used to get the most questions when I use crutches and or a walking stick versus uh-huh. the wheelchair because people tend to just ignore me. Um now I'm in the wheelchair. But it was always what have you done? What happened to you? Yeah. Always. Um people don't tend to I don't know, people are so kind of awkward around the chair that I don't even really get that. I still do occasionally. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to get it with people, whereas I would literally get strangers come up and ask me. Um, I don't tend to get that in the chair, but we did have, oh, we had a door fitter, like gagging at my door fitter. <laughs> uh, it was like last year who made some like, it's something, and you know, when someone says something, but then they carry on talking and they're so that you don't get a chance to like put your point across. Yeah. It, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, oh, it's a shame. Or you're so young to be in that or something. And then as I started to sort of go, well, no, he just yeah. like, and cause it was in, I think, cause it was in my house as well. It made me feel even more vulnerable. Cause it was like on my 
on my it's like turf. On your, yeah, on your territory, isn't it? Not into it. So, yeah, it's the same thing. You know, it tends to be, you know, what happened? How did you end up in that wheelchair? Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, maybe people are just so scared of disability and they're so worried about it that they're just trying to find all the different reasons you can possibly become disabled so they can try and avoid it forever, <laughs> which is, like, never going to happen. But I also think to a certain extent, and I spoke to um, the Rolling Explorer about this, is that actually it can be seen as a form of entertainment because people almost mm. want like that morbid story that something oh, yeah. like devastating happened to you and that's how you became disabled or you acquired your disability. Whereas, you know, shock, horror, surprise, surprise, people can just be born disabled and mm. like that is just their life. There was mm. no tragic story. There was no tragic event. Don't get me wrong. There are people whose reality that very much is. But by asking questions such as like, what happened? What did you do? Like, it's so intrusive. You don't know what domino effect you're setting off mm. for someone else. Oh, it can be so triggering. Yeah. But I think, like you say, you know, disabled people have always been held up as medical curiosities. Yeah. Um, you know, if we look at kind of sideshow freak days, um, to even every single time a disabled person is on the telly or in the media, you will know what their diagnosis is. Yeah, completely. Um, more often than not, when I am spoke about or interviewed or whatever else, my diagnosis will be up there. Yeah. And I think it's like people generally feel that they are entitled to know, like mm. as if we don't have that autonomy or right to privacy that like everybody else does yeah um you know because people are so sort of affronted when you don't tell them as well yeah and it's almost like they 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 believe that they deserve that story from you mm. and you're like yeah. I, I don't have a story like there is no story like it is what it is oh mine There's used to go like when I stopped sort of telling people sort of my whole like what spine bifida was and how it works and literally talked to him for about 10 minutes um yeah. and I just sort of started saying nothing's wrong with me I was just I, you know I was born disabled and then they'd be like oh, I'm sorry and then I'd be like don't have to be sorry I'm fine I've got a great life thanks whereas now you know the rare times it happens it would be more a case of oh I don't actually talk about my medical information with people I don't know yeah so um, like simple and to the point mm. And also makes them look like a nosy fucker, which they are. Yeah, so true. You know what's so interesting is that I didn't actually know what my medical diagnosis was until the beginning of this year. So bear in mind, like I lived my entire life, my like edit my age out, my 27 years of age. I I, I literally had no idea what it was. And it wasn't until I had to um, like prove my disability for a fitness competition from like a drop down box of what it could be I had to google every single option because I had not a notion what any of them were and I was literally like I, I don't I have no I even rang my friend who's also not in like not the same disability as me and I was like do you know what your disability is and he was like yeah like I'm an amputee and I was like okay well that doesn't really help me out and I was like I don't know why I thought you know the answer but like you're disabled as well so I thought you might <laughs> But I honestly, I didn't know what my diagnosis was until, yeah, until earlier this year, which is like, it's genuinely wild, isn't it? I think like for, it's sort of, on one hand, like, I don't know, I think I said this in a post once that I probably don't know a lot of my friends' diagnosis. A, yeah, because I my, don't. 
my brain just doesn't withhold information very well. Um, but also because it's not, you know, it's important to an extent, you know, I've got friends, it's very important to me that I know what my friend's access needs are and allergies yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. But when it comes to actual, well, I've got this, 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 and this, I don't because it, it's not, it's not relevant. Yeah. And like, it's so true. Like, it's just absolutely not relevant. And the only reason I know like a lot of people's medical histories because of this podcast, because they're like, oh, this is what it is. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, great. But like, if we met on the street, there's no way that I'd be like, so what is it? No, I just, I think like for me, like I think having, you know, talking about spina bifida, I think can be really helpful because for a lot, I think most parents who get um, a spina bifida diagnosis when they're pregnant, I think like 85% will go on to have a termination. Mm -hmm. And for the people who don't, I know that it can be really scary because yeah. the doctors are very much like, you know, and it Classic can doctors. And it can rob people of the chance to enjoy their pregnancy or to be excited because it's cloaked in so much fear. So, you know, I will always advocate that as an adult, I, you know, we'll talk about spine bifida for that reason, because I don't think children with spina bifida, which is often the case, should be, you know, their parents should be using them as an educational tool to educate people on the Internet, because I think disabled kids should be allowed to have their medical privacy. So I will step up and talk about spina bifida for that reason. That exactly. That point, I think, is so important, is that I personally find it incredibly difficult. And I mean, like, there's a part of my core that hurts when I see a disabled child on the internet promoting whatever about their disability because they're too they're too young to necessarily know what they're talking about in terms of like disability and how it works in society. And I'm talking about like young kids here. I'm not talking about like teenagers. And there's something about it that I find so wrong. Do you know what? I used to do it, not to the extent that I've seen, but when my kid who's got spine bifida was younger. So I get it. I do. I get completely get the mindset because you are literally told the whole way through your pregnancy that, you know, your baby shouldn't really be yeah. here. Um, I understand that need to kind of want to share them with such pride. Um, and I definitely overshared physio appointments and stuff like that until I really realized was when he would come home from school and, excuse me, be fed up that people were asking intrusive questions of him. And I would say, well, you don't have to answer. Just tell them, you know, it's none of their business. But then I was like, but I've kind of written all about it on the internet. Yeah. So how's that? And it was a real moment for me of, whoa, I need to sort my parenting boundaries out here, um, which I did. And I've had so many parents who have taken it in that way as well, who have yeah. said, God, you know what? Yeah, you are absolutely right. I would hate it if my parent, you know, my mum shared a load of my private medical yeah. information on the internet. I'm not going to do that anymore. But I've also had like, um, so uh, sorry, I'm, I feel like I'm waffling on. Um, silly. Ooh, it's not that mic as well. Yeah. So quite a few years ago, when I started talking about stuff, a mum of a kid with spine bifida messaged me and said, could you check, you know, I've read what you said about kids and stuff. And could you check my account, see if there's anything that so she had a picture. Now, I think her kid was about 18 months old and she had a picture of her catheterizing him. Now, you couldn't see his head. And I think she put a star over his penis. And I was like, OK, yeah, just a flag. I use a catheter. And if my mum even put a baby picture up of me being catheterized, I think I probably would have needed therapy for life. Now, I didn't actually say it to her like that. I think I was a little bit more tactful, but... <laughs> 
she stuck to her guns. She was very much, no, this is educating other parents. I'm keeping it up. And (laughs) I then did sort of a post, not about her, but a post about not sharing kids. And basically a bunch of when my kid was small, I was on a couple of spine bifida groups. Um, And interestingly, they would never kind of, it felt like a lot of the parents on there never took my opinion. They would talk to me if I was coming from the angle of a mum, uh-huh. if I was coming at it from the angle of a disabled adult with spina bifida, they were always a bit, I was a little bit sort of, yeah. And basically about three or four of them who I'd met and spoke to for years on that group all messaged me furious um, that I'd wrote this post about boundaries and, you know, really like, I think I, I generally have a very, um, I don't get very much pushback at all in my account. It seems to be just a really nice community. The trolls, yeah. um, <coughs> excuse me, don't seem to find me. But yeah, those mums, they they come, they can come after you. But I think it's it's so important to think of of like the child in the future because they can't necessarily give that confirmation right now because they don't necessarily know what they're like what they're being exposed to, if that makes sense. So you can't, you know, you can't predict that, but there's just, there are some accounts out there and I'm like, oh, like, I hope someone, I hope someone can pay for all the therapy you're going to need. Like, I really hope so, because I think you're going to need a lot. (laughs) That's it, because kids don't like, (coughs) it's probably going a minute. Let me have another drink. Like my kid is eight now mm-hmm. and he has no idea really, you know, he would love to have this big public account for one of his interests that he's got. <clears throat> and I have to explain to him that, no, the internet is, you know, it, once something's out there on the internet, it's out there forever. And yeah. what you would be okay <clears throat> with me sharing now or with yourself sharing now, you might not necessarily be okay with in another five years, in another six years. Yeah. And, you know, I just cannot, the thought of my mum even talking about me and my disability anywhere just makes me feel such a way. Like I would, yeah. I just would have hated it. And I, I feel the exact same way because I think had my mum like, I don't know, like if my mum had ever opened an Instagram account with me as a baby and like, look at this baby with a limb difference. Isn't she so great? Like, or like it, it, it does something to like my inside and I'm like no nah, I feel so uncomfortable with it like it's not a nice one <laughs> no it's it's I just I you know it's so lovely when you kind of just see accounts who have got a disabled kid and they share their disabled kid like they would share their non-disabled kids yeah and it's so, not made of like a big song and dance about no so you know maybe they do talk about their kids societal barriers um yeah because it gets you that and I think that's the frustrating thing because like these people get shit done like there is no force like a a mum of a disabled kid because or parent of a disabled kid yeah because there is so much admin involved and there is so much fighting to get Mm -hmm. your child's needs met and I just sometimes wish that that energy would be put into highlighting the societal barriers to yeah. listening to disabled adults, to sharing disabled adults. Um, but I think obviously, you know, when you have got a disabled kid, your life does revolve a lot around the medical. And often it's not until the kid gets older 
that the real impact of the societal issues come into play. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one that makes me, because so I know some parents of disabled kids who I, I absolutely adore, they're brilliant, they're great, but I also know some who are, I personally think, stepping into disabled spaces when they shouldn't be, but I don't believe parents of disabled kids should give talks on disability. No. I just think that should be left to disabled adults because our voices aren't heard enough as it is. Um, and I do, I don't know, I, I, I start, like the kind of identity as well, you know, autistic mum, special needs mum. Uh, like I, I'm not a fan. Like, I wouldn't want my mum to make her identity about me. Yeah. But I also recognise and I feel like disabled parents don't get enough support and I do think it's important that they have support and they have community but I feel like that community should be built in a way that still protects the child their kids privacy like be on a forum like mum's net or whatever else but we don't need to share pictures of you know our kids being catheterized even in a private group you know it's yeah. it's it's thinking about, well, would I be happy with somebody sharing this picture of me on the toilet you know without my consent <laughs> probably not um, Wouldn't be the prettiest picture. <laughs> no, I so I, I wore a play suit yesterday because it was hot um, and taking that down to go to the toilet. Um, and it was like three in the afternoon. I've left the bathroom door open and I'm like, Jace, I'm naked the toilet. Can you shut the door, please? Because one of the boys is probably going to come downstairs and they're not going to be that happy about it because it is a sight. So, yeah, those kids shouldn't be, shouldn't be shared. But, yeah, it's I think I used to get a lot more. Rah about it yeah whereas now I'm a little bit more like I t you know I've got a lot more empathy and I think it is you know it's it's really hard sometimes being um a parent of a disabled kid not because of your disabled kid but again because of all the fucking societal shit and yeah the, everything that comes along with it because it's not yeah and this is the thing I think what I would love people to grasp is it's not actually ever the disability that's the difficult bit mm. it's everything else that surrounds it so it's society it's medical it's like the social model of disability it's the medical model of disability it's never I mean don't get me wrong sometimes being disabled is shit but at its base core that's not where all of the like the difficulties stem from it's yeah. everything else around it that, that it stems from like you know, how people are viewed in society and like how the medical world view disabled bodies and disabled people. And it, it's everything else that encapsulates that as well. Mm. That's the bit that's difficult to deal with. Mm. And when you're constantly fighting against it day in, day out, that's when the problems are arising. Mm, absolutely. And, and I think even like with some of my friends who have a chronic illness, who, you know, can be in immense amounts of pain and things and you know their disability is obviously you know they view that differently to say myself who isn't mm. in any physical pain not well sometimes but not you know I'm not in chronic pain yeah but even with my friends they are still getting shit health care they're still not yeah. getting the health care they need so although you know their disability is in incredibly hard sometimes it is made even harder by the fact that you know that they can't get a doctor's appointment or the doctor doesn't believe them they can't get a diagnosis they can't get the treatment they need or the treatment stopped you know it's 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 yeah you know like sometimes you find yourself talking about it all and then you're like it's so bad like it's so bad and I don't think people realize how bad it is but then you kind of feel like oh god all I'm doing is just like this yeah it's because it is like it, it's but you it's know. the truth. And that's, I think, what's 
what's scary is that it can be very easily swept under the rug mm. like the reality of like the medical model of disability for example like can be so easily swept under the carpet because you know we're England and we have the NHS and the NHS is wonderful and I'm not saying that the NHS isn't wonderful it is and we're so lucky to have it however there are massive massive flaws in the system huge huge flaws in the system especially when it comes to disabled people and that's physical that's intellectual that it's, it's everything that it comes with it, it mm. there's there's so little knowledge about disability that even the specialists are being taught by the disabled people the, I, I feel like the NHS is great if you are fixable yeah. or you're going to get better but if you're not fixable and you're not going to get better <clears throat> then it's it's pretty shit like I don't know a disabled person that hasn't got some sort of medical trauma um and you know there's a bajillion different reasons that make it you know our palliative care like palliative care isn't just for end of life palliative care should support people with long-term conditions and yeah. that's what we don't have we don't have the knowledge as you say you know most of us are teaching the doctors about our conditions yeah. um and we just don't we don't have that you know i think a lot of doctors are very much about the fixable you know i need to have that payoff because that must be the payoff yeah. right if you're a doctor you fix someone and then you get your little oh i did that yeah like woohoo i prescribed antibiotics aren't i great <laughs> but you know you can't get that with somebody who is in a wheelchair you know i'm not getting better so you just yeah. have to help me look after everything but they don't yeah. and I think there's also, you know, I mean, maybe it's just like the old cynic in me, but, you know, I think there's a lot of it to, tied up with capitalism, tied up with productivity. You know, who are we who are we fixing here? The people that we're going to get back out making the money. Um, yeah. And and I think, you know, when we see that in the value of, you know, we saw that in, you know, I know I've said this already, but we saw that in the value being placed on our lives during the pandemic during the pandemics if it's done but during um you know during lockdown during the, yeah. the first two years of it um was just shocking it was literally like <clears throat> disabled people won't be saved oh great yeah and like it's 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 a, it's a, it's, a, it's scary like it is scary and like I don't I don't envy anyone who's who's having to go through like a medical journey at this point in time because especially with everything that's gone on the past like two years two and a half years everything's been backed up as well so like it was it was really like I remember a friend of mine saying to me look she said I'm not not trying to scare you she said but if you catch it and you have to go to A&E you have to go to hospital she said make sure you've got some pictures of the kids and the family you know and you and Jason the kids in your pockets yeah. so I was like why she's like just to really humanize yourself and and yeah literally she was like make sure they know that you're a mum make sure they know you've got family because it can be just so easy for them you know if it comes to it to just go oh well she's in a wheelchair and you know I think a lot of people be like what no but it's true and we you know and we saw it happening well look at what happened with adults who are like learning difficulties mm. having like having signed DNRs from their doctors yeah that's vile I work in I work in that specific area and when that came out we I remember thinking I have to ensure that none of my clients get COVID because none of them deserve that because that's it's that's nobody's judgment to make it's no. not a doctor's judgment to make it's not you can't like, you can't oh. possibly pick you know who's got a whose life deserves to live or not like it's way too 
Yeah, this is it, not survival of the fittest. Like this is not what this is. No, but then that's what people, but then I literally heard people say that in front of me as well. And I was like, no. Like it's, it's just it's so wild, isn't it? Yeah, the 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 ableism, like you know, the casual ableism and the not so casual ableism that is just allowed to be sort of thrown around um without any sort of questioning is yeah, quite shocking, I think. So to make this conversation just a little bit brighter, because yes, I feel it, like it, it took a turn. We yeah, we went down like a little hole. It was we a did. good hole and it's definitely something needed to be discussed, but it was a hole nonetheless. My final question to you is, Nina, are you disabled and proud? Yes. Yes. Very, very much so. And I always just I feel so nice being able to say that because I spent so many years being disabled and ashamed. And yeah being able to go no I'm so freaking proud to be in this community like it feels like a real privilege and a treat just to be a part of such a diverse amazing interesting community of people um very proudly disabled yay I have genuinely loved this chat and I think a lot of things that we've spoken about have needed to be said and it's been wonderful to I don't know whether you find this, but when I speak to other disabled people, there's a lot of nuances that that everybody understands that had I been having this conversation with an able-bodied person, it would have fallen short. I tell you what happened to me today and actually and why I was really looking forward to this chat because I knew for that exact reason. So I'd got asked if I would like to come and give a talk for a company. Mm -hmm. And the person who reached out and asked me was obviously really well-meaning, really nice. She follows me on Instagram. Yeah. Um, But at the, today I went to the pre-talk meeting and it was her and her manager. Now her manager didn't know about me, didn't know my work, has no idea about ableism and disability and anything else. And he was like, I was like, what do you actually want me to come and talk about? And he's like, well, you know, come tell your story, you can be inspiring. I was like, no. And then he used the term wheelchair bound about four or five times. And I was like, I just, I, I didn't want, I couldn't be done with challenging it there and then because I, yeah. I just sort of wrapped the call up really quick and then sent her an email like, yeah, this isn't the right fit for me. And I could have educated him, but he was um, basically the reason I said it wasn't the right fit for me is because he was going to be doing the interviewing. And I thought no. I, can't, I can't do a live Zoom interview like for other people with somebody who potentially is going to say really ableist things to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I'm not going to want to, call him in in front of yeah like I would love to rip you a new one but you're going to have your employees and it's going to be very embarrassing for you so I'll just spare you that embarrassment yeah and it was that it was like yeah this isn't the one because generally when I come and do um you know if I'm if I'm doing any sort of talks it's normally for even if it's for big organizations it's normally for the disability group within that yeah. so it's always lovely but yeah this this yeah so I was like oh, can't wait to do this one because I just knew that like you say you just don't have to caveat anything because no and that's what's so great is that you don't have to caveat anything and like like I said like and I've said it before I'll say it again you can also say that sometimes you just hate your disability doesn't mean that you hate being disabled but sometimes it can just be a little bit shit and that is fine <laughs> Yeah, I always look at it as big, like big D and little D. You know, I can hate my disability with a little D, but I will always love being disabled. You yeah. know, with a capital D. And that's, you know, having a spine lifter is not always great. Sometimes I do miss being able to walk and all yeah. of those things. But, you know, I think we're all cautious about saying it out loud because I feel like there's a non-disabled person just waiting to jump out of a bush and be like, I told you so. I knew it was shit. <laughs> um, 
So I only ever say it in safe spaces like this. So shit, they're right. It's terrible, but no, you know what I mean. Oh, thank honestly, thank you so much for coming on today. I've genuinely loved this chat because we've spoken about so many things that I like. I love speaking about this disability, but also it's so nice to be able to talk to someone who also is. I like to think I'm quite eloquent. I also think you're really eloquent and it's been nice to have that conversation and like have it flow. And I've, I've really loved this. So thank you for giving up your time and coming on the podcast. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. Have a good rest of your evening. You too. See you later on. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast